Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm Steve Letart, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Greetings and welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. We've got an episode chock full of guests, including the past two Indianapolis 500 winners and a man who many would say was the greatest NASCAR crew chief of all time. So I want to get right to it. We'll get started with Juan Pablo Montoya, who is the defending winner of the Indy 500. His 2015 victory, in which he outdueled Will Power and Scott Dixon, wasn't just thrilling. It was also hugely significant. It came 15 years after Montoya won the Indy 500 in his first start at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That's the longest gap between Indy 500 victories, and JPM naturally lived a rather full life in the interim. The Colombian is one of the best of his generation. He won seven times in Formula One, and then he went to NASCAR and adeptly made the transition to full-bodied stock cars, winning twice and making the 2009 playoffs in the Sprint Cup Series before returning to IndyCar two years ago with Team Penske. He does all of this with a cool and sometimes aloof-type attitude that gets mistaken for ambivalence. You might pick up on that during the course of this interview, too. It's not that Juan Pablo Montoya doesn't care. It's that the only thing he truly cares about, truly, is winning. And I think his worldview was misconstrued during his first trip to Indianapolis in 2000 when he was accused of not showing enough deference to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that he so easily conquered. His view of the world's greatest racetrack has changed since then, particularly because of his respect for team owner Roger Penske, whose teams have won Indy a record 16 times. So we talk a little bit about that. We talk about Juan Pablo's appreciation of working for Penske, how he sizes up this year's Indy 500, his thoughts on his son Sebastian's nascent racing career. I think you'll enjoy that. He has a funny story about a recent race that Sebastian called him about. And uh, we also talk if he has given any thought to driving some of Roger's other race cars. After Juan Pablo, stick around for 2014 Indy 500 winner Ryan hunter Ray, and then former NASCAR championship winning crew chief and NBCSN analyst Ray Evernham, who will preview the triple header race weekend. As always, you can reach me with feedback on Twitter at Nate Ryan. 
We appreciate you listening. If you like what you hear, please rate us and leave a review on iTunes. Now, without further ado, here's the 2015 winner of the Indianapolis 500. All right, joined now by Juan Pablo Montoya after he so graciously did a media luncheon here in Uptown Charlotte, provided us with some extra time to talk on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Uh, let's start, Juan Pablo. You, you talked a lot about Roger during that luncheon and about what, what you've seen from him, the, the energy he has, how he's unlike anybody else you've met in racing. We, we, let's just start there. What have you learned about Roger Penske the last couple years of driving for him? Well, I think Roger is an amazing person and makes him, you know, businessman. And he's just an example as a, you know, as a person. And, and to be honest with you, for me to be part of that organization and, and drive for him and being part of that history already, it makes it really special. When you're around him, we, we talked to Will a couple of weeks ago at Indy, or at, about Indy, at the uh, Mooresville shop, and Will said that it's, it's different when you're in Indianapolis with Roger. He, he doesn't have to give pep talks. He doesn't have to tell people how important that race is, but he just he, it feels different when, when yeah, Roger yeah, the Yeah, yeah, it feels so different that I actually I spend a lot of time in the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you were telling serious. us that. So, no, it's true because it's, it's so intense. Like Thursday, like somebody turned on the light. Like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, is pretty relaxed. Thursday comes around and the intensity level goes up. Everybody, like everybody that smiles, starts getting more serious and more serious and more serious and more focused and more and like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to another or normal no, race weekend, you'd be up like. No, I mean, I, I, we we do what we, I do what I need to do. I spend the time with the engineer. We look at everything. We really focus. I try not to look at, never look at the big picture. Just look at what we need to do. You know, focus on what's. In, con- in our control you know you can only worry about what you need to do you cannot worry about what's out of your control you know right and the only thing in our control right now is how good can we make the car to race you know that's all we can need to worry about will told us that if you win the indy 500 you have a job for life with roger penske do you feel like that after last i year? hope so <laughs> I, I haven't been told that but it's good to know then <laughs> then i'm in good shape did what happens if you win two for him? I, I know, right? Yeah. If, I know. If you, if you win four, um, then I think you have a job, you know, you can take. <laughs> I rarely see Rick Mears without a Team Penske shirt exactly. and black slacks, right? Exactly. So you I can think take, he does have a he job. He can probably life. retire. And then somebody, <laughs> a guy who wins four can take over. Did uh, did Roger say anything? Did he pull you aside after you won Indy last year? Did he say anything about what that meant to get 16? And and no, I think we, we all knew the excitement. We all knew what it meant, and um, I think it was a great stepping stone into the hundredth. You know, we're on the ticket. Um, we're I feel we got really strong race cars again, so um, it's exciting. You mentioned that I was going to ask you in in 2000 when you won this race the first time. You didn't really get to experience the, the afterglow and, and everything in 2001. Oh, the before. Yeah. You know, because we were racing in Nazareth the day before. Yeah. So now we, now we didn't leave anything. Yeah. So what's it been like then to come back in 2016? Like you said, the winner's face is on the ticket. It's the 100th running. So if you're going to pick a year to win and again and be on the ticket, this is the year. Does it, does it feel different to come back and sort of no, revel no, on No, no, It's just, I don't think about, that's what I'm saying. I don't think about all that stuff. I just worry about how good our car is or how bad it is and how much we need to improve it you know that's you know you go through days there's days where the car is amazing and you're like oh i got the, i got this and there's days like yesterday until like the last 30 minutes it was like what the heck are we gonna do 
mm-hmm. and then we found something and it's like oh okay and back in the ball game you know yeah and you said you were there till nine last night yeah uh, the night before i was the night before. yeah i was in about nine thirty. yeah just talking to the mechanics you know you i had to go do all the debrief and everything and then just went back to the bus and you know it's just nice you know i have a I have a really good relationship with all the guys in my car and makes it fun do you think Roger, he used to be a driver, as you know. Is that the approach he has? Because when we interview him, it seems like when you try to get him to talk about what he's done or who he is, he doesn't care about any of that stuff. I've always worried about is focusing forward. So he probably appreciates that kind of approach that you have. Yeah, I don't, he laughs because he. I saw him laughing before qualifying. He looked at me, are you good? I said, yeah, we're okay. And he just laughed because I'm, I don't freak out or stress out of stuff like that, you know. It's, you know, you prepare the best you can and you look at everything the best you can and you do the best job you can. And it doesn't mean you need to be freaked out about it. We talked about this during the lunch, but I just want to get your thoughts on it again. The, 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 the qualifying situation you had with the, the trash bag. I know. <laughs> Weirdest thing that's ever happened to you in racing? Yeah. I mean, not quiet but close. Probably, yeah, up there. It's, it's it's crazy because you wouldn't think a trash bag, you know, and people that watch NASCAR races, trash bags, it just gets the car hot and actually makes more downforce. Our cars is like taking the spoiler off. It's like, yeah, like somebody put a, you know, picked up the front tires. It was insane. It was, I wouldn't, to be honest with you, when I hit it, I didn't think nothing was going to happen. He's just going to go through it. And I was wrong. <laughs> Very wrong. And I hit it flat. Like, I, when I hit the bag, I was completely wide open. And I was lucky enough that I hadn't made a lot of the corner when I hit it. It was, like, halfway through the corner, so I wasn't aiming. If it would have been, air, like, on the entry of the corner, I would have made the corner. Hmm. I wouldn't come out of that corner for sure. Because hmm. we're doing 240-plus miles an hour into the corners. So somewhat fortunate, almost, in a way, yeah. the way it happened. I told the guys afterwards, that, yeah, when they were changing the engine that evening, I said, you guys are lucky you're not rebuilding the hell out of this car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned the downforce. I mean, all the talk now in, in NASCAR is about taking downforce off to make the cars harder to drive and to increase passing. That's what all the drivers want. I, I, I presume in IndyCar it's Yeah, but it's different. different. It's at different levels, you know. It's... I think a NASCAR doesn't make what maybe two thousand pounds of downforce or less mm-hmm. nowadays. I don't even know how they make. They used to make like two thousand nineteen hundred pounds. We make six thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, we push down like th- three cup cars together, one car. That's what we do in a road course. It's that, that much more downforce. That's why we're so quick. Yeah, yeah. Will has uh, suggested raising the horsepower and cutting m- more downforce off the Indy cars. What do, What do you think is the right direction? Um, I think the downforce is not bad. I think it just makes it, you know, it's very physical um, because we don't have power steering. So the more down, every time that downforce, the steering gets heavier. Yeah. It's like there are a lot of places we used to use like eight-tooth steering rack, and now we use six-tooth because they're just too heavy. And you can, like a seven, it's really hard. Yeah. Uh, Starting 17th Yeah. on Sunday. Yeah, uh, lucky to start 17th. Yeah. You know, yes, we went out again and the actual we had some damage on the car, we hadn't seen it. So the car wasn't turning at all, so we I mean, we were fast enough to be 10th that it was with the group we were in, but 
That's what it is. Doesn't matter because last year, where, I can't remember where you started last year, but uh, it wasn't fifteen. You know, fifteen. Okay, uh, and you well, won. <laughs> yeah, two places behind. So yeah. So five hundred miles Sunday. That's a long time, and that's enough time to get from wherever you are to to first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not worried about it. Uh, I think we got a good enough car, and it's a five hundred mile race. You got to be smart. <clears throat> More about not making mistakes, uh, and you know, see what it brings. When you won the race in 2000, uh, much was made then of the fact that you showed up and won without having any experience on it at all, and that was impressive. But some people thought, I can remember Alonzo Jr. or some others saying, we don't know if this guy's got the respect or the appreciation for this place. Uh, no, when I won in 2000, I didn't. But it yeah. doesn't mean I'm, I can't win it, can I? No, 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 it didn't at all. I was just wondering, <laughs> like... Because I, 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 I didn't... Yeah, I mean, I didn't... The thing is, when... Especially for the Americans, they grew up watching Indy. Right. They grew up, a lot of them grew up in Indiana, going as a kid as races. Even Roger, you know, he got involved, you know, the bug started at Indy. Yeah. You know, everything started for him there as well. So the appreciation they have for that event is 100 times greater than mine. You know, I, I've been to three Indianapolis 500 only. Yeah. This That's is my fourth one only. Good point. Good point. You know? When did it change for you? When did you start to appreciate the... To be honest with you, with being at Penske and, and leaving what they do for Indy, how hard everything is pushed for Indy, you start understanding, wow, this is big. What's an example of that? Something that you've seen at the shop or something they've done that... like? No, just it's just how everything's done. If, if, if you go and see our garages in Indy, how they're built, how everything is like... It's like our... You know, it's like our shop you know everything is tidy everything is in place it looks like everything looks like it belongs there it's not like oh we're there for three weeks or four weeks no it looks like you could work there full time Mm -hmm. that's what's pretty amazing do you feel the when you walk into that place a lot of people say oh it's about the mystique the magic the history that's the people that freak out yeah (laughs) so that that part of it doesn't really affect you no for you it's a it's another racetrack. Yeah, it's another. You know, I, I t- and I always say this. You know, if you're going to try harder in Indy, it means you're not doing your job. You know what I mean? If you're going to sp- spend the extra time and you're going to spend the extra effort, what happens with the other 15 races? Where is the extra effort? Right. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, they're wins. Yeah, I mean, the winning is way cooler than winning any other one, but you still want to win. Yeah. For me, I like I want to win every week. So for you, it's never been about what that place might represent to other people. It's about what it represents to your team and your car. Yeah, for me, it's just I just want to win the freaking race. Yeah, like every race. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Simple, you know. What I mean, there's no, there's no secret. There's no magic. There's more time to, there's more time to get stuff wrong. Right, right. You, you talked during the luncheon, Juan Pablo, a bit about why you think the racing. Uh, this year's race will be so competitive. Uh, you could just yeah, I think it's going to be really competitive because the Hondas are really strong, uh, as the Chevys are as well. So, the, the you know what I mean like last year the Chevys in the race we had a bit of an advantage on the Hondas. Our cars were seemed to drive better and we had a little more power. So it, it, it seemed really strong. This year looks really you know looks really close. Looks like the Hondas are really strong. Looks like we're really strong as well. Um, so it's going to come down to, you know, who does a better job in the race and who manages the tires better and everything. There was a uh, news conference that they had in Indianapolis last week in which Roger was announced as the pace car driver, and they had each of his drivers ask him a question. Yeah. You asked him uh, if he missed 
the chance of watching his kids race. Yeah. Why'd you ask him that? Um, I don't know. To be honest with you, I found out we were going to ask him a question like two minutes before. Oh, really? <laughs> and I always, you know what I mean, wonder that because you look at all their, his kids are all businessmen. You know, you have one, you know, you have, uh, you know, Jay with, you know, with Dragon and everything. But yeah. you don't have, they don't, I mean, you don't see that drive that Roger has for racing. Right. Right. Yeah, they like it. They go, but it's not like it's not the passion like Roger has. In my opinion, I might be wrong, mm-hmm. but I just wonder that. You know what I mean? Is if it, it was a, his choice? Because a lot of parents, even parents that you know that race, they go, "I don't want my kid to go through this." For me, as a parent, and my kid races, it would be really unfair if my dad gave me the opportunity to race, not to give it to my son. Especially when I do it for a living. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, and as you mentioned, Sebastian is, is how old? 11. 11, okay. So and he's still racing go-karts? Yeah, okay. He'll race go-karts for quite a few years. Yeah. So, when he decided that he wanted to race, from your perspective, it was just, hey, it's whatever you want to do. That's yeah. That's what will make me happy. Yeah. How do you think he's doing so far? Good. He, I mean, he's got an uh, ability to overtake people, to pass Unbelievable! It's good, really good speed. It's it's good. It's in a good place. Tell us the story that you told us during the luncheon about when he recently uh, called you about something. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're, he was racing this weekend, and it was Saturday morning, so I was ready to qualify. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I had just got out of the car from from practice before qualifying, and I'm, I wanted to see how he did. And he actually, as I grabbed my phone, he called, and he was like. Oh, <laughs> that's all you could hear like screaming <laughs> so uh, I and like I said just calm down and I said look use that anger and focus that anger on the race to win the freaking race you can't change what happened and then what happened was they asked him to qualify them by themselves and they said only six, ki- six kids on track and they spread them apart and they made a mistake and they sent a really slow kid in front of him and, and ruined his lap he was the fastest guy in practice before qualifying so he had a really good shot of being on pole and he ended up qualifying ninth. Hmm. Um, so I said, just channel that anger. And did it work for him? How do you do? Yeah, in the I mean, he finished fifth in one second and first. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. yeah. So that's what Dad would have done then. Yeah, that's you how have you, to. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and like I'll give an example. Like in the Indy GP, when I went through pit road exit and I screw up, they gave me the drive-through penalty. Is like it hit me down really hard, and I'm like, just push. Shut up and push. <laughs> was it, in a way, though, good to hear that fiery side of your yeah, son? Yeah, because it, he yeah. cares. Yeah. And, as, you know what I mean? You need that. You need to care. You need to be angry. You need to be passionate about it. You know what I mean? And with the years and maturity, it'll get better. But you, if you don't have that drive to be the best, then you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Have you started looking beyond go-karts yet for Sebastian? Um, no, no, no. Not really. Yeah. yeah. No, because... He wants open wheel. He, I'm not sure. He still wants more IndyCar than Formula One, to be honest. That, I mean, I took. You know, he's been to Formula One races. He's seen all the cars. He's seen everything, and he's been to a lot of IndyCars, and he loves IndyCars. Really? Yeah, okay. he's passionate about IndyCar. So he is growing up dreaming about the Indianapolis yeah. 500, unlike his yeah, father. Un- did. Unless his father, yeah. <laughs> he has a good role model. Um, when you came to Penske, you raced at Michigan and Indy in NASCAR that first year. Yeah. Any desire to maybe race NASCAR? Well, again? it was tough because it was 
we had, you know, I mean, we couldn't get the car right. In Indy, I knew we were going to, like, we qualified pretty decent in Indy. Uh, and we knew we were going to be in trouble in the race, and we did. It's like, I had no traction. I remember I couldn't put the power down at all and just couldn't get it right. See, it's hard because it's it's outside the program. And especially when they run, if they didn't have, if they were not running the, you know, the nationwide car, then it would have been a lot easier. Because then they have more room, you know? Right, right. Uh, but running both, then you have to find extra people, and it's just never ideal. Yeah, so no real big desire. No, to, get to be back honest with you, more, there's more desire to go and do Bathurst. Okay, right. You know, with Roger having the team there now, that yeah. we always go push him, you know, give him a. So when are we doing it? <laughs> so you're hoping to be in Australia behind the wheel of a car. Uh, at, at some, some point, point, it would be amazing, yeah. Yeah. Have you talked about it with him? Or yeah, yeah, we talked. No, no, no. I'm serious. We yeah. talked about it. We looked at it last year and everything. So maybe next year? But it depends on the organization because it's funny. They want us to go, but and they're okay giving us some test days, but they don't want to give us, like, tires. Mm-hmm. And they're really limited on tires. So it's like, how are we going to Are we gonna go and test on what? On mm-hmm. wheels? <laughs> You know what I mean? On all tires. Uh, yeah. And if we're going to do it, you got to do it properly. I don't want to go there for the organization to say that I want to race Bathers. I, if I'm going to go there, it'd be nice to be half competitive, you know? Yeah. You think that would be similar to, like, stock cars, I guess, kind of? Yeah, yeah, maybe. I think they'll drive a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last one for you. Roger has been talking a lot about sports cars lately as well. And I, think I, I, that, I have missed that conversation. Uh, I asked the other day, but I've missed it. You probably know more than me. He, Looking at your face? He and Tim have both kind of been hinting that it sounds like if they can get some factory support and, and it sounds like it's heading in that direction, they'd like to restart the sports car team. And Roger's goal would be Le Mans. Uh, <laughs> something that would ever interest you? Perhaps? Yeah, I mean, and for the future, yeah. I, I'm loving the car right now. I wouldn't change it for anything. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. You never know. Yeah, maybe somewhere down the road. Yeah, I mean, if down the road they do something and they ask me, I'll look at it at the time. But if they would ask me today, I would probably say I'll stay in IndyCar if I can. Yeah. If you still want me. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll keep you around, man. I yeah. hope so. I hope so. I love I love racing for Team Penske. They've been an amazing organization, and they've been so good to me. So blessed. Appreciate you joining us, man. All right. Thanks thank you. Our thanks to Juan Pablo Montoya for being on the podcast. Our next guest is Ryan Hunter Ray, whom we caught on Wednesday morning in his motorhome at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Ryan is the 2014 Indy 500 winner and the 2012 IndyCar Series champion. But I still think he doesn't always receive his just due as one of the series' most consistent and versatile drivers. He also is among the most accommodating when it comes to interviews, and we appreciate him making time to talk about his family's involvement in that Indy 500 win, what is it, what he's expecting from this year's race, and the new team dynamics of Andretti, Andretti Autosport for which he drives. So here is our conversation with Ryan Hunter Ray. Okay, joined now on the NASCAR NBC podcast by Ryan Hunter Ray, the 2014 Indianapolis 500 winner, 2012 Series champion in the IndyCar Series. And uh, Ryan, first, thanks for being here. I want to start with. Uh, maybe one of my favorite recent indie memories was after your win at the Brickyard in 2014, when you had your son dressed in a fire suit identical to yours out there celebrating on the bricks. And I've, I've been me and that ever since I've seen those photos. Who, whose idea was that to put him in that fire suit? And um, does he still wear that when he comes to races occasionally? Yeah. 
Um, that was, I think, going to be one of the highlights of my life, um, not just winning the 500, but being there with, with my family afterwards, um, you know, all the emotions involved. And obviously the pre-race, you know, with my son and his little um, mini-me fire suit and, and then being there afterwards, it was just, I mean, couldn't have scripted it any better, really. Um, we, we came up with the idea months beforehand, um, OMP, uh, the folks I worked with at OMP, Chris Newark, came to me and said, hey, we can make a little fire suit for your son, matching yours exactly if you want to do it. I was like, yeah, absolutely, because um, my son always freaks out at the time when he saw me in my fire suit. Um, <laughs> he, he just thought it was the coolest thing ever. So to have his own, when we put it on him the first time, he looked down at himself and just looked up at me and was like, he couldn't believe it. Uh, absolutely priceless. But, um, yeah, race day morning, we first time he ever really wore it out brought him out to driver intros and everything and, and had him out on the grid. And it was just, it was just incredible um, memories that'll last a lifetime. And then obviously winning it was, um, was just unreal. And that's uh, your oldest son. That's, is that Ryden? Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Ryden. Okay. Yep. Okay. And I know that uh, in qualifying uh, this past Sunday, you got to in- enjoy it a little bit with uh, your newest uh, child as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's become kind of a, a tradition for us to bring the kids to, yeah, to the press conference. We did it um, with uh, Ryden's first race. We brought him, I think it was 2013, to the to the post-qualifying press conference, brought him in there, and he just sat on my lap. He was obviously way too young to do anything about it. But, yeah, this time they kind of took over, and um, when, it was, when I was done doing my piece, uh, you know, Ryden wanted to talk on the mic, so we thought, the interview was over. We didn't know it was being streamed live to the media center upstairs. And um, he just went on about, you know, he calls it Indy 5 Apolis, which is, you know, Indy 500. <laughs> and um, he, made, he made some predictions, too. He said that I, I was going to win the race. And then moments later, he came up and said, and so is Uncle James. So I've got some uh, competition. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, we also have uh, Ray Abraham on this podcast, Ryan. And, and he's going to be in Indianapolis this weekend. And he's bringing... I believe she's 10 months old, his daughter, Kate, solely because even though she's not old enough, obviously, to understand it, solely just because he wants her there for the, the 100th running to be able to say when she's older that she was at the Indy 500. Is that what it's about? I mean, I know, regardless, you're going to want your family involved in your your professional uh, life as well to celebrate those successes and enjoy it. But does it take on a more special meaning uh, in Indianapolis, knowing what the Indy 500 means to families and knowing that it's it's probably something that y- your sons are going to look back on and say, hey, I was there for that? Oh, absolutely. It's a tradition in so many families. You know, if I had a dollar for every story that I've heard about people that have been coming for 20, 30 years straight with their families, they have, you know, a full row of seats blocked off and it's it's American tradition. Um, I grew up watching the race with my family, um, attended the race, and, you know, it's so unbelievable, the feeling to share that with, with my family, my kids, to bring them out onto the grid on, on race day. There is no feeling like the Indy 500, especially just prior to the race when you look as far as you can see, it's just people everywhere. And celebrating, you know, on Memorial Day weekend, um, you know, all, all the lives that have that have paid the ultimate sacrifice to protect this nation. And it's just an immense amount of pride and the feeling just sends chills up your spine. But to share it with the kids, you know, with family, that's what this event's all about. What does Ryden get a kick out of besides uh, your yellow fire suit uh, in terms of uh, things he sees on race day? What else does he like? 
he's just in love with the race cars. You know, the movie Turbo did a lot for him too. <laughs> um, you know, seeing the snail win win the race and and that really got his love going. I think for for the Indy 500 because he he would watch it all year and then come here and it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm actually in the movie. Um, and then just the race cars. I mean, he he makes me take him on garage tours at the end of every day. I take him through looking at all the race cars and and take him into you know our garage we have we have five cars in our andretti stable so quite a lot for him to look at and he you know sits in the seats and and does all that he knows all the indy car drivers obviously based on the color schemes and sponsors and it's just it's it's fantastic because i love the sport so much he he already does um not sure how i'm gonna steer him into golf or tennis but <laughs> gonna work on that soon <laughs> he's not allowed to race or or uh yeah yeah no, no way okay <laughs> i hear that from many drivers um Looking at the race uh, uh, Sunday, I know that uh, certainly you would have liked to have been on pole, but a, a great starting position nonetheless. I, I was somewhat surprised to look back at uh, your, your recent years there, and this is actually one of the better qualifying efforts you've had re- recently in Indy. I know that you can win from everywhere, anywhere. You proved that in 2014, but does it does it mean a little bit more to be starting toward the front? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the recent winners have come from um, outside the top 10, but there's no reason why that streak can't be broken. I mean, broken. It's it's something where, you know, starting up front, especially in that first bit of the race, the first stint, it, it's better to start up there just because it keeps you out of potential trouble and, you know, deep in the pack and, in the, in the, you know, in the wasp nest there where things can kind of go crazy. So it's good to start up front, kind of settle into a rhythm. Um, I think the worst thing about starting deep in the field is the turbulence that you get those first 10 to 20 laps. It's just, it's insane. You come down to turn one, you've got, you know, 15, 20 cars in front of you and you're just buffeting around, your head's shaking in the car, the car doesn't have much downforce on it. And um, it's it's a pretty daunting task to settle in that way. So it's nice to be up front and kind of, you know, be able to work on my car and, and, and know what I need for the remainder of the race. So it's a good place to start. No reason why we can't win it from third. I I hadn't actually considered that prospect. I I suppose that the start of that race when you have three abreast, uh, eleven rows deep is is that the most? I mean, is there anything that compares to that during the race? Um, and I, obviously, it's the, the the restarts are going to be a completely different situation. But but those first few laps, if you are starting mid pack, is that is that the the most nervous time maybe you're going to have over the course of five hundred miles? Absolutely, it is because you don't know really what balance you have on that day. You know the wind changed, the um, the track temperatures up. You don't really know what you have going into turn one, and you know, bar the first two corners, really, Indy is a one group racetrack. Um, you can make it hang up there on the high line in the gray on the first couple corners because you're not quite up to speed. Um, but you don't want to be flirting with it too much out there because there's not a lot of grip and, and the car can turn around on you. We've seen that, you know, in years past. So it's, it's much better in my opinion to be starting up there. It's just, it's just less dramatic. You know, there's, there's less to deal with. You just kind of more straightforward, get in the line and, you know, uh, and settle into a rhythm. So it's, uh, it's going to be difficult though. The, the track temps are going to be up this weekend, the hottest temps we've seen this month. Um, you know, ambient temperature somewhere around 87, 88 degrees for race time. And that means the track temp is going to be upwards of uh, 120 degrees, which is going to be the most challenging conditions we've had. Hmm. What, uh, what's that like uh, inside the race car? How do you how do you handle that? You just have to react. Um, you know, you have to learn what you have, adjust your tools, see what works, what works in, in traffic. 
um, you know, it tends to, we lose a lot of grip when the track temp comes up. Um, I've really noticed that this year everybody has. So I'm not sure if that's because of the higher ride heights with the dome skids or if that's just, you know, par for the course at the moment. But it becomes pretty tricky when it gets hot. So um, for that reason as well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're starting up towards the front. You mentioned the, the dome skids. Obviously, the, the, the conversation, the, the, the tenor has changed from a year ago and, and probably uh, to the betterment if, if you're a Honda driver. I, I know that uh, you're somebody who, when I've heard you talk about racing around, you've always just said, hey, all I want is a chance. If I've got a shot, I feel like I'm in it. I, I feel like I, I've got a chance to win it. And I would think uh, 2016 versus 2015 going into this, do, do, does it feel like you know driving a Honda, you, you're going to have that shot maybe more so than last year? Absolutely, and hats off to Honda. They've done a great job. They've stepped up to the plate, and we've really, um, you know, we've really brought the, uh, you know, we've really brought it to to our competition. So, yeah, and last year we found some problems with the car after Indy that that we we think caused some of our handling issues. You know, last year, not just speed, just handling really was a problem for me in the race all month, um, and and I think that's why we went, um, you know, back to our our usual form late in the season, one, two races on ovals. Um, so yeah, I think we have a better shot this time. We have a better understanding of what we need from the car and we have some, uh, we have some speed there that we didn't have last year. Right. And the team dynamics, you know, you mentioned five cars. I know that you and Marco certainly are our mainstays, uh, at Andretti Autosport, but you've got a, a new American face on the team this year. How are things gelling, um, with the addition of Rossi this year? Yeah, great. I mean, you know, he's, he's fit in and, we work as a team very well, um, Marco, Carlos, and myself. And, you know, adding um, Alex in there has been uh, pretty seamless, really. I mean, you're going to have, um, you know, some merging issues that you have another team coming in rather than just adding a car. You know, we, we actually blended Brian Herta Autosport into, uh, into, into Andretti Autosport. So that's been good. The whole team's kind of merged together. We're, we're all as one and, and we're, we're communicating well. And it's been good to have Townsend Bell as well along. He's been working with us closely and, you know, he certainly knows what he wants from a car here at Indy. I w- was talking to, to Juan Pablo Montoya yesterday, Ryan, about the importance of teammates and, and the way he explained it was that the, the differences between the cars are so minuscule now that you almost have to rely on the drivers to, to make the difference. And, and the, the way he says it works at team Penske so well is that you just, you have to have uh, just implicit trust in each other that everything you know, you're going to share. How, how does that work from the Andretti perspective, same type of approach. And when you bring somebody into a team who's new, how do you, how do you build that, that faith in each other? Well, it's certainly an advantage to have numerous cars on a team. I mean, you get you get th- that much more data, that much more information, setup changes that you can adapt to your car. You know, we have, you know, for instance, I'll go out, I'll test a few things. Marco will go out and test these dampers or this spring. And, and at the end of the day, we'll try and bring everything together that's worked and apply it. And, and, and that works, you know, often. Um, so that that's really the way it's supposed to be. And um, you have to have trust, like you said, in your teammates. You have to you have to trust that what their read that they got out there, you know, five cars is deep in traffic is is one that's going to stick. So, um, you know, you build that trust over time. But um, you know, Alex is new to the oval game, but he certainly has the talent. He's been fast. He knows, uh, you know, he knows how to get around a racetrack. And I was impressed with his Phoenix run, especially. You know, Phoenix 
is is a is a tough place. It's a tight, small, short oval that um, that is extremely demanding uh, physically, mentally, and and you know he got in there and got on with the job. And I was very impressed with that. You see guys come over from Europe oftentimes, and it takes them a bit really to to understand what's going on on an oval and what you actually need from it. And and he's done a good job. Have Have you given him some tips on on how to get around ovals after being being on road courses most of his life? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's got on by himself just fine, but he comes to me with some questions, just just little things, nuances that are that are much different about oval racing, and you know, just like in practice, for instance, how you get how you blend into a a, a group like that, how you do it properly, because it's it's a pretty small window, fine fine line for getting it right. I mean, you can't just um, you know bail on the throttle and 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 come right back into the field. You've got to do it carefully, precisely, and things like that, you know. And and you know, he's he's he has four teammates that he can that he can you know ask questions and 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 kind of pick for for feedback on and that that's that's a big deal when you're when you're a rookie right uh as, as someone like yourself who obviously is shown to be adept on ovals and and also can win at the twisty circuits and and has shown you can you can do it across all categories that's why you're a champion i i get from fans a lot why is uh oval racing uh, difficult because I, 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 especially casual fans, I think they look at, at an indie car r- race on a road course or a street course and look at shifting and left and right, and then they look at an oval uh, track race like a Phoenix, and it's just it's four corners, turn left, turn left, turn left. What what is it about oval racing that perhaps we miss if if we're not behind the wheel that is more nuanced that that makes that maybe as difficult as as a road course race. Yeah, it's not more. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, different ovals for different reasons that uh, Indy, you know, you're doing 240 miles an hour coming in the corner and qualifying, um, very light downforce and, you know, the, the corners don't have much banking in them. So the car is always sliding and doing that at 230 plus is, is not a good feeling at times. It, it really isn't. You don't, you can't really feel the rear of the car. You don't know where it is. You don't trust it. It's moving around wind gusts. These cars are so susceptible to wind gusts. And, um, you know, these things are very tricky. And then once you get into a pack and you're surrounded by 10 cars, the turbulence is immense. So these things are very difficult to get a feeling for and to be confident. And that's a big thing to be confident around Indy is uh, something you have to build up on. And for instance, at Phoenix, you know, we're pulling five G's and you're always on the limit. Always. You can't have a lap where you're kind of lifting too much. You know, you'll get passed up. So it's, um, it's a different feeling in the car the cornering loads are so great that it just takes time to build up that confidence that, that the car's not going to swap ends on you. Right. You, you talk about that confidence, Ryan, and you certainly had that uh, at Indy two years ago when you, when you battled so fiercely with, with Elio Castroneves. We saw that again last year with Montoya and Dixon and, and Power to some extent in the closing 10 laps. I, th- th- this race to me, I, not that it would ever disappoint, but it, clearly there, there has been a run here of, of terrific finishes, the Indy 500. Montoya said yesterday that he's expecting no different this year. Are you expecting the same? And, and why do you think uh, th- this race has lent itself to such great racing in the last 10 laps the last few years? I think it's the formula that we're currently in. The cars, you know, the the the, um, the competition's very close. If you look through the field, there there aren't many. There there are really no weak cars, um, especially on the regular schedule with the regular you know Andy car drivers throughout the season. It's 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 all guys that have won at every level they've been at, and it's it's tough. Um, 
like you're going to have that again here at Indy. I think, you know, the draft is big, you know, I think the big thing, the big variable that no one can really put their finger on and how it's going to be on race day is again, that track temp that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. you could find yourself in a position if it goes green long enough where you're facing uh, lap traffic, the leaders and whoever has the best handling car at that point might be able to stretch a little bit of a lead. Um, that'll be an interesting point to pay attention to, I think. Mm-hmm. So it, it could come down to a little bit of strategy then in, in terms of, uh, in terms of that. Sure does. Absolutely. And the, you can really vary the strategy based on yellows, this, that, and the other, you know, we've seen it work in, in years past. I remember a couple of years ago, the Penske's were all over the map on strategy and, um, they, they, a few of them they, on different strategies had a chance at winning the race. So you never really know what you're going to get there. Uh, pitting with the leaders when the leaders do is not always the right answer. Right. Right. How does, um, how does that work from the Andretti perspective on, on race day? Is there somebody who's managing that for all five cars to ensure that everybody's somewhat on the same page or, or once the green flag falls, is everybody sort of doing their own thing, but checking in on each other? Yeah, I think, you know, we start the race and it's everybody for themselves. It's it's five single car teams that way, you know, you can pick your strategy and go for it. But if we have two cars really in contention and, and strategies on the line and, and one strategy may pay off, then you might get, you know, a call from, from uh, the higher ups that, Hey, we need to split our strategy here and, and try and get Andretti Autos for the win. Gotcha. Uh, we'll wrap up with the obvious. Uh, how do you feel about just your chances going into Sunday, how would you characterize it? It's, it's, you know, it's a wild card right now. I, we, we went out and practiced on Monday and, and the conditions were hot and cars were sliding around. You never really, you know, you could be out there on 30 lap tires struggling. A guy comes out of the pit lane, joins a group on new tires and he looks like Superman. So you really don't know um, until we really get into it and guys are pushing a hundred percent out there. You really don't know what you have. Um, you know, I, I feel like in 14, I had a really good race car, especially on carb day. I went through carb day, one hour practice. I could pass anyone I came up on uh, because I had a good balance in the race car. And that's what we're looking for. Right, right. Okay. Well, I certainly wish you the, the best in finding those feelings uh, on carb day this week. And uh, good luck on, on Sunday as well. Thanks for being here, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nate. Anytime. Okay. Thanks again to Ryan Hunter Ray. Our last guest is Ray Evernham, whom we caught on the way to Indianapolis Motor Speedway, where he is spending the weekend soaking in the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. Ray, of course, is known for his success in NASCAR. He won three championships with Jeff Gordon, but he also knows his racing across the spectrum. He has a TV show called Americana, in which he has explored many different racing disciplines while restoring old race cars. He once owned a dirt track. He is a former driver in the Modified Series in the Northeast. He knows drag racing and he's worked with those teams. He once worked with a Formula One team when he owned his own NASCAR Sprint Cup team. Ray has a great appreciation of history. So we had him preview this Memorial Day triple header weekend of racing. We got his thoughts on the tire wear and strategy at the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway, also whom he might like to win that race. And we also got what he might be expecting to see at Indianapolis and Monaco this Sunday. So here is the man voted the greatest crew chief in NASCAR history.
Okay, joined now by Ray Evernham, former championship winning crew chief in NASCAR and NBCSN analyst as well. Uh, Ray, looking ahead to the Coca-Cola 600, we, we saw in the all-star race at Charlotte Motor Speedway that tire wear did appear to be a factor again for the first time in, in a while at Charlotte. How do you think that will impact a 600-mile race on that track? I think we're going to see a lot of the same type of racing, Nate. I think we'll see uh, side-by-side racing for sure. And then, you know, with the 600 being 100 miles longer than any uh, of the other races, we're going to have to see some different types of pit strategy. And it used to go back to Charlotte when guys, some guys would do two, some guys would do none and mix that up a, a good bit. So I think we're going to see cars moving through the field. I think it's given the group chiefs some options on, uh, on what they're going to do on their, on their pit stops. So overall, with, uh, again, what we saw just a little bit there in the all-star race, I think it, it's going to add a, uh, a new, I don't want to say a new twist, but maybe a twist we haven't seen in a while at Charlotte with more options on tires. Everybody talks, Ray, about obviously this being the longest race. Naturally, you're going to have more pit stops than probably any other event you're going to race this year in Sprint Cup. As a crew chief going into this, when you prepared for it, when these guys look at it, is there are there a certain number of two-tire stops that you you know you can count on, that you can kind of play your cards with those, knowing that you have to make this many four tire stops, but you might be allowed a certain number of two tire stops where you can gamble and try to get track position? Uh, well, the guys will probably have that figured out by actually number of laps run. They'll know about how far the tires or how fast they can go on two tires for how long. That's the way we used to do it. It was a matter of just looking at saying, okay, look, if I've got 20 laps on my left side, I can put right sides on and I can run 30, 40, 50 laps and I'm not going to lose that much speed. But if I've got 40 laps on my left side, I'm only going to probably be able to run 20 or 25 good laps. So I see a lot of, of figuring back and forth. I would say really it's going to depend on where your car's at, where you, how soon you want to get that track position, and whether or not you think that the caution is, is, is going to come out. If the guys are, if there are a lot of uh, wrecks and spins, uh, mechanical problems, and what it seems, even though the, the uh, cars have gotten bulletproof, it does seem like we still have a higher number of mechanical issues in the 600 than we do in other races. So I think that all of those things will come into play, and it's going to depend on your car and your, and your crew chief. But, you know, I always used to hold a – I always had to know exactly how fast, how long we could run so I could hold the two-tire uh, part as long as I could. Ray, I was talking to uh, Steve Letart uh, a couple of weeks ago about this race, and he said that the most difficult thing for him as a crew chief in in calling the 600 was just the, the sheer length of it, just – four hours of just trying to stay spot on and, and keep your team up for it and keep them ready. When you called this race, is that just, is that the most difficult part of, of managing a 600 mile race beyond all the strategy implications and setup stuff you have to worry about is, is just keeping the team focused for four plus hours. I think, yeah, keeping the team focused, the driver focused and keeping yourself focused because you know, your strategy can change in a heartbeat with a caution flag or uh, uh, again, a, a change. Some cars pit, some cars don't. So you're constantly running a number of scenarios and things like that. But four hours, you know, uh, four and a half hours, really, it's a long time for your guys to be uh, be there on pit road, keeping them hydrated, keeping them keeping their energy up, and keeping your drivers head in the game. You know, we used to have to remind our drivers, like, look, you know, okay, we've got. You know, you've got plenty of time, plenty of time. If you had a lap down, or if we have a problem, or if we fix it, we're going to get more pit stops. So it is a lot of work for the crew chief. Uh, I know that the crew chiefs and, and the driver and the uh, spotters end up with extra batteries <laughs> because on the radios because they're 
they're talking so much, but, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest uh, things that you don't want for the 600 is a rain delay. Because, well, you talk about a long, a long day and keeping your guys loose, uh, you know, pick throughs and things like that, really, really difficult. Yeah, yeah, that would certainly mentally be exhausting for somebody to actually have your day be longer than when it's already going to be the longest day of the year. Uh, the the day-night change that everybody talks about, Ray, is, is that as radical in terms of how the car changes as, as some of us probably make it out to be, or is that... Is that maybe uh, over-exaggerated a little bit? Is is there a huge difference when, when the lights come on and you have to adjust the car to that? I think in the early days, there was a big difference um, because we just weren't used to that and how to adjust. I think the guys uh, have evolved in the way that these cars are now, uh, so aero-sensitive and running on bump stops and things like that. There's still a difference. I just don't think it's, it's as big. And uh, a lot of the teams right now know what package that they've got to have and the things that they've got to do to make sure that car's uh, right at night. The, the, the neat thing for the fans, though, I've always said this, is at early in the 600, the guys that are running up front just kicking butt, you know, don't get too used to seeing those cars up there because it's the guys that are, that are pretty consistently running that four, fifth, six area just solid are the guys that are going to be up in the front because charlotte is it still is a tricky track and it does change it changes you know not only uh, from that five to six o'clock hour and it you know when the sun goes down to seven or eight o'clock but it changes again at nine thirty, ten o'clock at night and goes even a little bit different uh way we have found so it it, it, it the change happens twice not once so it makes it a little bit more interesting with a crew chief in terms of sizing up uh, who's who's best to adapt to those sorts of changes and get acclimated to it, uh, obviously the, the Gibbs cars have been really good this year on the mile-and-a-half tracks. Who, who do you like uh, Sunday night at, at Charlotte? Does anybody in particular stand out as, as being really in position to, to win this race? Well, you know, I think this race is a key race for Casey Kane. And, and Casey and I were talking the other day that he's won this race uh, uh, Kenny Francis is still involved over there. Keith Rodden has won this race, uh, I think, twice with Casey uh, uh, up on the box. So I think this will be a great race for, for Casey to turn around and look for some good positive things uh, from him. And also, you know, uh, the cars that run well at Dover normally run well at Charlotte. And I believe the 78 is going to be up front again. Certainly, uh, you know, the, the, the 20 car, the Gibbs teams have been tough. So I'm thinking... I've got to put my Hendrick hat on here and, and vote for the five car over there because it would be a great great way to turn that around. But I, if I were the five car, I'd be worried about the 78 car. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, looking at the other two races, big races on Sunday, Ray, uh, obviously you'll be in Indianapolis with your family, uh, with Aaron and Kate for, for the, the 100th running of the Indy 500. Uh, what, what are you expecting to see in that race? Have you been paying attention this month in terms of you know, practice, qualifying, and, and who do you like uh, for the 100th running of the Indy? Well, that, obviously, the speeds have, have been really incredible uh, there. You know, last year, Indy was a great show, and I think that will be a great show uh, again this year. You know, you're always looking at the Penske cars and the Ganassi cars, but I've become a fan and a friend of Joseph Newgarden, so we're hoping that he has a good day as well. Gotcha. And uh, finally, uh, Monaco, I don't know if, you, if you're if you even in the F1 universe anymore in terms of paying attention, but 
Uh, any thoughts on on that race? If you'll be watching it, and uh, it, what you think about F one this year? You know, Nate, I, I would, I'd be, I'd be kind of lying if I told you that I've been all, all over F one as I used to be, but uh, I, I, I have not this year. So um, met Lewis Hamilton last year, and uh, I know that he's been having <laughs> a few struggles with his with his teammates, and some of that stuff's been pretty exciting, but. Not really been on top of it. I know that uh, Monica is one of, certainly one of their key events. Uh, but, ah, man, I've, I've been so busy trying to get this uh, this Andretti car ready to, to uh, bring back to Indianapolis. I've not been paying a lot of attention to it. So I don't really have a lot of thoughts on Monaco this year. Are you going to be watching it? Uh, honestly, it depends. I know we're going to be pretty busy uh, on Sunday, obviously getting ready for the the race, uh, they're going to run 33 very classic and vintage cars before the Indy 500 with several different uh, championship and race-winning drivers, and we're going to be a part of that, so it just depends on how much we are involved in the, uh, the parades and things before it gets going. All right, well, uh, we certainly uh, wish you well in doing that Sunday. I know it's going to be a big day for you, and you'll enjoy it. Thanks for uh, being here on the podcast, Ray. appreciate it. Thank you, Nate. Our thanks to Juan Pablo Montoya, Ryan Hunter-Ray, and Ray Evernham for joining us on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Many thanks to Team Penske and Jeremy Troiano for making Juan Pablo Montoya available. As previously mentioned, Team Penske has been a big supporter of this podcast since its origin, and that's much appreciated. Thanks also to Kate Garrett and IndyCar PR for our drivers, and Debbie Robinson for helping with securing Ray Evernham's time. Thanks as well to Tess Quinlan for producing the podcast. This episode and all of the rest are available on Stitcher, thanks to Tess. You also can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes for automatic downloads of new episodes. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner Plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.